Hello and welcome to As It Comes, Life from a Musician's Point of View. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and I'm now embarking on a rather peculiar summer. So it's summer here in the UK, which means temperatures soaring into the lofty heights of the 20s, even the 30s. Now, don't laugh, Australia. I know these are mild temperatures for you, but really exciting for British people. Just as a side note, I remember my first winter I experienced in Sydney back in 2009. And on the news, their main story was cold front sweeps through New South Wales. Temperatures plummet to 13 degrees. That was the main story of the national news on television. And then they showed all these pictures of people wearing coats and hats, those unexpected garments. Unbelievable. That year, we also had a dust storm, where loads of dust blew over from the desert eastwards towards the city and turned everything red. I woke up that morning and I thought I'd move to Mars. Such a strange place. Anyway, weather aside, this summer is peculiar because I won't be working, given a certain pandemic, and instead of getting moany about this, I'm going to embrace the fact that I have loads of free time to see the country and see my friends from a distance. It's going to be the summer of the picnic, of socially distant socialising. People are starting to play chamber music, even orchestral music, outdoors, which is a joy, because in normal times, it's nearly impossible to get everyone together at the same time to do that for fun. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to Brighton, because I can, and it's usually so rare for me to just pop down to the sea without it being attached to work. So I'm going to take advantage of this free time, because it's the first summer I've been able to do this since I moved to the UK. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, do enjoy yourselves. And remember to be responsible. But if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, stay inside and eat lots of delicious food. Speaking of the Southern Hemisphere, my guest this episode is Justine Cormack, a seriously accomplished violinist and creative performance coach from New Zealand. What hasn't she done? She founded and was in the NZ Trio for 17 years. She's been concertmaster of the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra, was a member of the NZSO, and she's got a whole load of recordings to her name. I know her from my Auckland uni days, where she was a string lecturer. We chat about her move from the city to the countryside, her grand designs featured house, and her philosophy, listen, feel, play which focuses on harnessing physical awareness and movement that we can bring to our music making by getting out of our heads and listening to, feeling, and exploring what's going on in our bodies instead. We also talk about food. Standard. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear a cameo from Justine's cat, Coco. Here's my conversation with Justine Cormack. How was your family time, by the way? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. So I had uh, and some friends too. So uh, my sister and brother-in-law are looking to move down this way as well. And my brother-in-law's from Roxburgh, which is further south of here. It's sort of between here and Dunedin. Kind of. Okay. So where are you? Are you in Wanaka? Well, just out of Wanaka. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, it's school holidays here at the moment. So they're down here for two weeks. So they're sort of coming and going a little bit. Mm-hmm. And actually, Mark is on his way home from quarantine, 
Um, to, so he's going to get home today. I'm going to go and pick him up from the airport after this. He's been in, a, in the hotel in Auckland for the last two weeks in quarantine. Like, I mean, like any other time being in a hotel would be fine, oh. but it's like when you're in a hotel and you actually just can't do anything else, it's like, it's yeah. so boring. Well, you know, I've actually, one of the things, I think musicians are very good about being shut in rooms. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he had lots of study to do because, yeah, he's got lots of concerts coming up now, which is great. So they're all starting this coming weekend for him. And so he had lots of work to do. So he, he's actually been fine, but, you know, it is bizarre. Yeah. Well, it's good that you'll get to see each other. Justine Cormack, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast from your amazing house just outside of Wanaka in the South Island in New Zealand. And it's quite funny because I'm here just watching the sunset somewhat here in London and you're talking to me in the future tomorrow. (laughs) Yep, I am. The sun's coming up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. But how's it been in New Zealand? Because... New Zealand continues to be the envy of the rest of the world and you're pretty much out of lockdown now and life is getting back to normal. How was lockdown for you in such a beautiful, serene part of the world? Yeah, well, the, there were some silver linings for sure and one of them was being able to just be at home with my husband. He's an orchestral conductor and so he's away a lot. We both sort of travel around a bit. So it was really nice to just be able to be in one place together and at home in our beautiful house that we've now been in for a year. And we've had lots and lots of guests, which has been great. But it was really lovely to just have the place to ourselves and our cat. Oh, your cat. So that was really lovely. But of course, at the same time, there was this, this huge question hanging over us in terms of what was going to be happening in the future with our industry. So... You know, we were trying not to worry about it, but I mean, it's still it's still very much a big question in terms of you know what what this means for us going forward. So we just had to make the most of the time that we had together. Like Mark was going to be in Hong Kong and then San Francisco, and yeah, but it has been lovely to have the space and time and enforced break, yeah, and a time to reflect and so on. And I think it's interesting to see what will come out of that in terms of people's approaches to what they do how they do it what's important what's what's not but it's just a basically a huge social experiment yeah totally there'll be like new bursts of creativity that we Mm. don't necessarily expect new approaches Mm. I imagine I have to talk about your house because because you mentioned it and I'm sure you've got a line of guests just rushing to visit you but (laughs) tell me about your house because it's quite special and it's been featured quite a bit in the media hasn't it uh yes well there's a program well that originated from over there the um Grand Designs and Grand Designs New Zealand exists and we applied to it when we bought the plans for our house. We bought, we found the plans online. It's an amazing design, we think. And Grand Designs is one of our favourite TV shows. And so we thought, oh, they might be interested. We're on a beautiful spot in the middle of the countryside. We're surrounded by mountains. We've got 360-degree view where we are. I mean, it really is stunning. Uh, we can't believe it, really. And... This house is, uh, it's basically, if you imagine a doorstop, you know, a little doorstop, just the wedge, skinny, long wedge. Basically, our house is like that, but in in a scale that you can live in. So it's quite skinny and long, 
and it's two floors in the high end and then there's the courtyard in the low end and it's absolutely stunning we love it i mean it's 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 very minimal simple in its design in terms of the sort of structural uh, like a piece of art it's a sculpture really functional art well i think it, it's the ultimate of architecture really and that it's hugely functional it's incredibly well designed in terms of living in it but it's like it, it yeah it functions as a piece of art in itself and the um i think <laughs> we, we love it and the way it sits <laughs> on this property here is gorgeous and that it um relates to the mountains everywhere but the most amazing thing or one of the most amazing things is that this was designed for a site in maine the states completely different place um, it was going to be for the architect's mother um, it never got built and then the architect jeff day put it on um, a website and my husband found it and we thought that would be cool and it's on our site it honestly is it's as if it has been designed specifically for here it works so well relates to the mountains I mean Maine wouldn't have had the mountains and because it's long and skinny you can see out both sides and you so you're just interacting with the view all the time Oh, that's so amazing. So when you say you've got 360 degree view of the mountains, it's like you're living in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all, they're sort of distant. But yes, you look out the north where the sun is. So down here, that's where the sun, the direction of the sun's from the north. Those are all the main mountains that go down the South Island. Um, yeah, but exactly, which is all round. It's just gorgeous. You're looking out one way and think it's amazing, and then you go over to the other windows. And it's like, oh my goodness, that's amazing too. <laughs> oh my god, like who who needs TV, right? I mean, I'm so envious because, like, currently I'm looking out my flat, and I love my flat so much, and we're really lucky to be here. But just before I joined the Zoom meeting with you, I witnessed uh, quite an intense standoff between two cats um, (laughs) over um, a sign that says, please keep gateway clear day and night. Like my view just pales in comparison to yours, I'm sure. (laughs) My cat sits on on her footstool and just stares out the window watching birds (laughs) and we have bunnies that we're trying to get rid of. yeah, no. Oh my gosh! And she probably thinks she owns those mountains, right? Like everything. That yeah, like- yeah. She, and she's just in heaven. I mean, it's a really cat paradise. So. Yeah, gosh. What was it like when you first moved down there, and you were living in Auckland? Yes. Moving from a big city to a place where your neighbours are mountains. Yeah, well, it was interesting because we've always lived in big cities, but both of us have always really loved getting out into the mountains and getting away from things, and so. I was pretty confident that we would just love it and wouldn't miss the city at all. And that is the case. Uh, but until you do it, you don't sort of know. A lot of people ask me, oh, how do, you, how do you cope with being so isolated? But I don't feel isolated. One of the requirements of where we wanted to live is that we would uh, live close close enough to an, an, well, an international airport, which is not so international at the moment. But um, <laughs> so it's a, that's just an hour away and or 17 minutes away from a big, supermarket and you know there, there's plenty we don't feel like we're sacrificing anything really uh, it does mean we have to travel for most of our work but that's in terms of playing concerts and so on most of the time mind you I sometimes I do concerts around here and I do a lot of uh, work with people via this via zoom so it's an advantage being here I think it's we just 
just love it. You have you have your space, and then also I imagine you feel like when you come home, you are home, you know, yeah. and you're not anywhere in between because. I, I feel like people in, in Auckland don't realise how lucky they have it when they, they're they travelling around the city, especially if yeah. you drive, because it can be quite quick. I mean, like Auckland, in terms of big cities, it's big, but it's not as big as, say, London, where I'm right now. But I remember like going back to Auckland a few years ago, and my mum lives just east of the city, and um, a colleague in, in the APO, she came to pick me up. And she was like, oh, okay, so we've got rehearsal at 10. Um, I'll swing by your place at 9.30. And I just thought, are you kidding? Like in London terms, like yeah. if you leave at 9.30, you're already late. And I think we got to the town hall at like 9.45. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's so quick and so zippy. But I imagine just the rest of the world, you know, you just get used to making that time to travel to places, don't you? Yep. And to a certain extent, I have to make that time now to go places, except that it's, it's, it's pretty predictable how long it takes to get places. Yeah, you're not going to get a massive pile up on the <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so cool. It's just so nice to like hear about, you know, just living in such a dream house in a dream yeah. part of the world. Well, I appreciate it daily on multiple times. It's just, just love it. Absolutely love it. It's a beautiful space to be in. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So we're here also to talk about your initiative listen feel play which is a blog and also weekly inspirations which I've been reading recently and they've been really nice during this time when I have had time and space to consider new approaches different approaches to playing also had time to practice as well they've been really really useful so can you tell us a little bit more about the philosophy behind this approach to music making yeah, so when I first came down here, having left my 17 years with NZ Trio, because that's what I was doing in Auckland performance, the full-time performing and so on, I just had some time out. But then after that, I was really, it took about six months to sort of get a sense of what my next thing might be. And what had always been clear to me through my career, but also more recently, maybe in the last 10 years, was this desire to share the knowledge that I'd amassed through my career and through my teaching and through my performing and so on and there's a lot of I think through our own play and through our own training in this industry there's a lot of information that we miss out on or it's not part of our traditional training in terms of how we engage physically emotionally mentally you know that we're sort of trained in the mechanics of playing our instrument much more than you know the whole picture around it the, how we bring all of ourselves and how we bring it in such a way that we get the best out of ourselves rather than getting in our own way and as a performer you know I've been performing for 30 years and through that whole process I've done lots of personal investigation and different ways of using my body or being conscious of how my thoughts play into what I'm doing so this whole thing uh, also in my teaching, I think that sort of helped me crystallize this philosophy of listen, feel, play. Like if we're really listening and we're feeling and then we play, or, but also this idea of playing, having fun with what we're doing, then that sort of sets up a really different path, a different trajectory, different experience than if we're thinking and doing. So instead of thinking, it's 
listening instead of doing it's feeling and so yeah thinking and doing is like putting all the pieces together and then you sort of end up with this sort of stiff unconnected way of being an organic it's all kind of put together yeah and we yeah. we're all in our head and I mean that's just we have to, we're obviously we have to use our brains but it's it's to how, how to use your brains in a way that it's coming from your body and yeah. Um, so in the process anyway of being down here and really having to get all of this, these theories and ideas out of me and and be able to share it with others and sort of work out exactly what it was, it became really clear that this listen, feel, play aspect was central to it. And so then I've been delving into this much more in a personal way in my own playing. And I have more recently in the last year and a half really discovered how important it is to be centered and in, in your body yeah that's the key thing isn't it, it? Is. yeah I do notice you mentioning that word so many times and yes, I, little... <laughs> <laughs> I have been mentioning it a lot it's interesting because with this lockdown and not being able to do not being able to plan for what's going to be happening in the future. I, I kind of decided, okay, well, look, I'll just commit to doing a weekly kind of inspiration. And so I'm doing this every week and sending it out to my database and putting it on Facebook and so on. And in the process, I thought, okay, so it's just a really systematic kind of unraveling of my philosophy. And it was really interesting because it was so clear that I had to start with being centered and so for the first two months, it was very much about being centered. And I, I mean, I could actually keep on writing more and more and more about that, but I'm sort of branching out into other things that all still relates to it. But yeah. this idea of being centered is just, when you really are, it's astounding how it changes the process. Absolutely astounding. I'm still amazed. Yeah. You know, going back to how you talk about listening, and I think also a quite a good word to use is observe. And once you start observing your center, you have that sort of point that you can relate to, can't you? And I yeah. feel like a lot of this approach has some parallels with, you know, yoga as well. Um, I do my best to do a bit of yoga every day, but I'm not always successful. <laughs> but, you know, moving from your center. So like, for example, you know, you follow particular yoga videos and they'll say, try not to just yoink yourself into the pose but you have to move from a place of center don't you yeah. and you have to make sure that it's it's coming from somewhere otherwise you're just you know flailing about and then yeah that's right, get lost. That's right. and it's that's, that's a good way to put it because I think you know when we're, we're playing I mean I'm a violinist so I'm sort of gesturing now this this and yeah you can just be flailing about like what do you relate anything to but as soon as you have your center I th but I think the thing that's really powerful is that it gets you out of your head and into your body uh, there's just so much wisdom that our bodies have that if you really listen to them and allow to feel how your arm wants to move or you know how, where your balance is I mean or where you know just how do I want to move and it's it's amazing how your body knows and informs you if you listen to your body as well yeah that's the thing it's quite often I mean like playing an instrument is is a fairly unnatural thing when you first approach it as a beginner but you have to find that natural way Absolutely. to play your instrument and quite often what looks and sort of feels good often ends up sounding good as well. Oh, totally. So it's completely yeah. connected because if you're using, because our bodies is another element of the philosophy is that we have to use our bodies like they're our instrument 
all and like we're athletes so it's all of those ideas are in there and and when you're using your body in a centered and balanced and ergonomically powerful way the sound completely changes but it makes sense because there's not the stiffness and there's not the sort of trying too hard it's just it's just much more natural and that has definitely been something that I've been conscious of right from the start through my Mm -hmm. career is how how can I make playing the violin and as natural as possible yeah and so when you're guided by that aim it can change the whole process yeah and and the perspective shifts as well when you're going to pick up your instrument and I imagine you know from my own experience it can be quite easy to get bogged down with the little details as you mentioned you know the Mm -hmm. mechanics and obviously those things are important but then it can be detrimental just to be always thinking about the technique and how to do a particular process but then it's sort of a matter of like stepping back a little bit Mm -hmm. and seeing a more holistic picture what's that saying um if you're not seeing you're not seeing the forest for the trees is that it something like that Yeah, yeah, you get distracted by all like the detail and then you forget that there's a much bigger picture there as well. And what I find is when I really make sure that I'm centred, even when I'm trying to do, yeah, you've got those details that you have to do. It's not about not, it's it's about being more connected to the technique of, and making the technique natural and easy. You know, we just make things a lot harder than they need to be and we get in our own way. And so it's working out, what am I doing? that's not helping here and coming back to your center and feeling your body I mean just as I'm sitting here if I do that it's just I I suddenly feel completely different to my body I'm aware of things in my body and I you know I can breathe more easily everything changes and then the other side to the whole well there are lots of sides to the philosophy but it's also becoming conscious of uh, or choosing what to pay attention to that we have choices and recognizing First of all, discovering the choices that we're making. Um, So, for example, a shift that you have to do, um, you know, how am I doing that? What's my focus? Or am I choosing to be confident with this? Or actually am I choosing to doubt it every time, which is a really common thing that we've actually built this questioning and lack of confidence into our process. And so, and just recognizing that we've chosen to do that maybe not consciously, but then being able to choose a different attitude or a different awareness that just completely allows a completely different process. So it's becoming conscious of what thoughts are useful and what thoughts aren't and, and working with those. Yeah, like filtering out a little bit as well. Hmm. Because, yeah, because there are times and we people do get nervous with certain things. And then, yeah, exactly. And and it's very natural to think of, you know, to amplify those bad feelings. Like, you know, yeah. there's that, that classic feeling of when you come off out of a performance and you're always going to think about all the things that went wrong. Yeah, totally. But then, you know, choosing to focus on the things that actually went well. Yeah, <laughs> That's well, look. a whole other side as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we're not so good at that. And we have to get better at supporting ourselves in the mix. Otherwise, you just... I think that's one of the reasons, um, certainly this is my own experience, a lot of people find as you go through your career that you actually become less confident and less sure of what you're doing, which seems just so strange, and I've never quite understood that. I mean, I'm sure it's not always the case, but I think we become 
our expectations become greater. So expectations is a whole other thing that you have to sort of try and unpick. And then also we possibly start developing habits that become more ingrained as we're going along. But we also don't have the support around us. I think one of the things that people in our industry, we're kind of, it's expected that you learn everything you're supposed to learn at school and then you just go it alone and you're supposed to know what to do. And I, that's another really big part behind what I want to do is support professional musicians through their careers so that they can stay in love with what they do, stay in touch with their potential and their enjoyment in particular. It's to be really... Yeah, stay connected to what really helps them be the best they can be. And we don't we don't have enough of that in our profession. Absolutely. I think it's definitely an industry where it's easy to feel lonely mm. and easy to look at other people and think, oh, they're just everyone is doing so well and it's it, it can be just so toxic. You know, and then I guess there's also that feeling of it becoming work you know, mm. it becoming, you know, really like a job, it becomes a bit of a daily grind. And then you mentioned losing confidence as you get older. And then it's interesting when you see children play, mm. they just don't really care. They can play with just that ease and yeah. um, without getting too bogged down. Obviously, like yeah. it goes back to what you're saying, the expectations are a lot lower. <laughs> but it's yeah. it's finding that ease again, isn't it? It is. And it's completely possible. It really is. People that I've worked with, it's just it's, a lot of it's to do with recognizing what attitude or intention you're bringing to something. It, it, one of the things that really helps is an uh, attitude of curiosity. When you bring curiosity to what you're doing all the time, it just opens up so many different options. And we lose that, I think. And that's what kids did. Yes. And that's what kids do. The kids play, don't they? Yeah. I, was, I was actually watching a documentary just on the BBC a few weeks ago, and it was I think it was called The Science of Play, but it was, we watched it because there were a whole lot of baby animals just playing. Baby animals are so cute. I know, exactly. So you see like a little thumbnail of baby animals and you're like, well, I'm watching this. But anyway, it's about how animals in the wild play and the science behind that and how useful that is because they're practicing honing their skills that they're going to need when they grow up. And I think, you know, as kids, we do play because it's how we understand the world. It's how we learn how to function socially. But then also, yeah, in music as well, that's so valuable, isn't it? I would say that my most valuable lessons I've learnt, some of my most valuable lessons I've learnt playing music have been when I've just been observing and messing around, you know. Yeah, and that's also because you're not stuck in your head worrying about something. You're actually in a, in a different sort of zone. And so it's practising getting... And I, and I think that access to that zone is being in your body. So that sort of comes back to the centering thing. If you get proficient at being able to engage with your body out of your sort of that worrying mind, then you've just got access to a whole different world of experience, I think. It's like being super aware of, as you were saying, you know, isolating different parts of your body, really being aware of different parts. And I noticed this in, um, so I teach it a prominent dance school here in London where my students as well as taking music lessons their main focus is to become professional dancers but their state of awareness of physical awareness is just absolutely astounding you know like I've observed their ballet classes before and a teacher will say you know just be aware of your clavicle <laughs> <laughs> and they can just you know open up and and yeah. then the teacher's like 
oh, that changes everything. And like to me, because I don't know anything about dance, I'm like, oh, it looks exactly the same. But like <laughs> it, it makes a world of difference. And I, I like that they have that physical awareness because they bring it to their music lessons as well. Yeah. And, you know, that's another side to my whole way of looking at things is to, to know how your body works and to know the structure of your bones very much so. It's interesting to hear what you, the, the awareness of the clavicle because, I mean, that's absolutely, it's, if, I, if I know where my clavicle is, it's, that's actually the start of our arm. It starts in, on the front of our chest. It doesn't, our arms do not start at our shoulders. It's, it's quite interesting. So it's, and it's really important to our alignment is very much about our skeleton and understanding all the joint. And when you have that kind of understanding, as athletes have, uh, you have a completely different ability to move. And so it's really important. And we're not, again, we're not trained in that nearly enough. So, yeah, thinking of yourself as an athlete, I think, is important as well. Yeah, I feel like I do remember you saying that at some point. I probably back did. In the day. <laughs> but it was a long time ago now. Interestingly, I think um, young people, life is so sort of different and it's harder to get some of these principles in because I don't know if this is a fair thing to say, but things come more naturally when, when, when you're younger. But as you get older, maybe all of these ideas become more important in terms of making sure that you're moving naturally and and not questioning yourself. And I mean, things change as we go through our lives. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to keep being aware of this, isn't it? Because, you know, life is always um, throwing you a series of curveballs, as we know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I feel like it's been really, really valuable just to think about, you know, we've got this time so we can yeah. we can think about a little bit more about space and balance and center in our plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's just oh, cat. Yeah, is that a cat? Coco, is the cat going to make a podcast appearance? No, she doesn't make much sound. <laughs> My cat's the um assistant producer. <laughs> the nice. <laughs> no, he's yeah, but he won't be able to get in because I've I've closed the door. But <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I keep thinking about my centre. Also, I think maybe as a cellist, you know, we focus a lot about posture. And posture is one word, but then that can um, manifest in people just sitting up straight. But it's quite valuable to think about where does posture begin. Yes, you know, exactly. And really, really grounding yourself. Like I, I find it really useful to think about my two feet on mm-hmm. the floor and then my two sit bones on the chair. Yeah. And then, you know, if you're off balance, you really, really feel that and it can affect the way that, that you play. Absolutely. You're also a creative performance coach as well. And as you mentioned, wanting to support professional musicians throughout their careers to make sure that they're the best that they can be. And, you know, we're going through unprecedented times, as we all know. And for those of us living in places where live performance is still a way off, lucky New Zealand, you're going back into live performance somewhat. But for those of us where we're not going to be performing in front of an audience for a while, what sort of tips would you offer to those people who are embarking on new methods of performing? You know, I'm thinking like live streams and, you know, recordings and things like this. Yeah, it's a tricky one because that is actually one thing that I didn't personally investigate myself. It's such a different thing to not have 
the that live connection. Sorry, that's my cat. <laughs> um, that was a heavy thud. <laughs> oh, she'll come back. Okay. <laughs> anyway, through our lockdown, I wasn't really exploring ways to perform. For me, it was more an opportunity to just have a break and not so much reassess, but reflect. But yeah, reflect. But that being said, um, I recognize a lot of people are really needing and wanting that to, to keep playing and performing. I guess where I'd be coming from in that would be to really try and connect with what you want to really want to play yourself. So it's an opportunity to have complete <laughs> indulgence in terms of what you want to play, how you want to play it. But it's also you can choose the time frame. So I mean, one of the things I find quite debilitating and have found debilitating is not having the ability to set performance dates or that, you know, we, we, as musicians, we work towards these deadlines and dates and we're very, very good at doing that, knowing what we have to do in order to be ready for such and such a date and, you know, in three weeks or something. But I think what comes with that is also a different set of expectations about what we can do, how we prepare and so on. So in a way, by being able to choose your own deadlines and exactly how you want to do it, you might be able to change that pathway towards that point in order to be Mm. able to prepare in a different way or you know are there things that normally you wish you had time to do so to be able to build that into your preparation process like for me it would be about really starting from I know it sounds like a broken record but this place of center and that's actually what I did when uh, just before lockdown I was very lucky um, in the middle of February I played all the Beethoven violin sonatas in three concerts was basically oh, yeah. probably the biggest project I've ever done in my life. And the idea is that I'm supposed to be doing it in the States in October and November this year, but that, that won't be happening. But hopefully it's still going to happen next <laughs> year. Uh, but having to prepare so much music to be performed in three days was a really intense project, but I really came at that from this perspective of this is my opportunity to build it up, build up all of these works from this place of Uh, central foundation and I did that and it really reaped rewards so yeah so I think yeah I'd just suggest to people there it's a chance to reflect and consider your processes of preparation and playing and it's really important and to recognize that you have choices that's another really big one one of the things that I've heard so many musicians especially orchestral musicians say that they feel they you know they're trapped maybe too strong but you know they don't have any choices and it's like no that's rubbish you you have choices millions of times in every day and it's to become aware of those choices and to own them or if there if there's a certain thing that you want to make a different choice than having that power even as simple as choosing how you're going to sit on your chair it's really fundamental choosing how you're going to how much you're going to be aware of the person next to you or not. There are just so many choices anyway. And it's just, it's really fun when you're in that kind of realm. Yeah. And I think it's choices of attitude, isn't it? I'm just thinking about like this a kind of nightmare scenario, sitting next to a person that you've just described, who's decided not to make any choices and how that wouldn't be a very fun person to play next to. I think if one is feeling trapped in a particular scenario, such as orchestral playing, it's really useful to come at it with a different 
attitude. Oh, it's, abs- it's everything. It's absolutely everything. So, for example, it's just to be, rather than trying to be something that fits in to everything around you and all your expectations, all these sort of outward co- things coming at you, it's a much, there's, there's a real potential to be able to consider what is it that I bring to this? And, yeah. you know, when I'm in a zone that is really working for me, how does that work? And then you yeah. bring, you're bringing your best, you, you're focusing on what you're giving out rather than what's coming at you. And you're also much more aware of how you're connecting and inter- interacting. And it's, yes, you can really flip the whole thing on it. Yeah, that, that's so true, mm. isn't it? You know, you are you are offering something. If even if you're, yeah. you know, one of ninety-two players in an mm. orchestra, you know, you're there for a reason. Yeah. And you could think, oh, if I wasn't there, then the show. Well, I'm sure the show would probably still go on, but it wouldn't be the same. That's right. And I guess that's one of the dangers, especially for string players, is that you are one of many, and you feel like you know you could easily just not be there, and it wouldn't matter. But of course, that's not true. But it's it's about how you your own personal experience is something that you have the ability to influence. And so mm. it's getting to the heart of what's important to you, um, how you want to play, what you want to bring, what you want to contribute. And when you're in that zone, everything's going to work better. You're going to actually play better. Everybody else around you is going to be happier about what you're doing. And you're probably going to make other people feel better. And I, I'm very conscious of that. I, that's one of the things I enjoy about going into an orchestra these days. I mean, I've played so much in orchestras, but is that, that ability to impact on all the people around you in a positive way. And that's the thing, you know, when you're sitting next to someone who's just got that good vibe. Yeah. And sometimes it's kind of indescribable, isn't it? But like, yeah, when, you, when you've got a good desk punt and you're like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. But you, you know when there's someone who's just not feeling yeah. it that day. Yes. Yeah. It radiates. It, it gives out a certain energy. Yeah, that's right. And then it? it's really important that you also know that you can, like if you're sitting with with that sort of energy, you don't need to be negatively affected by it. You could, you, by the choices that you're making, you could actually be, you can't, can't control how they're going to react, but you might be able to actually help them. Yeah, it goes back to what you were saying before about you bringing something to the table as well. I think it's, yeah, it can be easy to think about what you can take from a situation, yeah. but then you also have to remember that you're there to offer something oh, as well. I, I think I, I noticed that personally when I went into Southbank Symphonia and I'd moved from Sydney and you know it was 2013 and so I was seven and a half years younger and it was a new city I didn't know anyone in the orchestra and I just remember initially my thoughts were like oh why am I here everyone everyone who's in this orchestra has studied at these places in, in London which sounds sort of mythical on the other side of the world um, where we're from and then I kind of flipped the burger a little bit and then started thinking throughout the year, well, I'm here for a reason. So there's obviously something that I can offer mm. just by being myself, you know, yeah. because of the buildup of my own life experiences and the way I convey them. You don't know, but you could influence someone in a particular way. That's right. And it, so it's, it's, it's having the integrity and belief in yourself and consciously building trust into the picture as well like trusting that yes I do have something to offer I can hear myself saying all these things and it's without a doubt there's always questioning and you know it's so easy to not feel confident and and I feel all of those things a lot 
but it's it's about sort of facing them and then choosing how you respond to them so imposter syndrome is one of those things that you hear people talking about and i i know that one intimately i mean the number of times that you, you know who 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 the hell am i to to be to think that i can make make a difference to people but i just have to keep coaching myself and it's actually no i do i do have wisdom that i and i want to share it so that's sort of what's driving it but you know the imposter syndrome is i imagine it's rife with amongst musicians because we're so you know we're so aware of what we can and can't do and that's as musicians we're up against that all the time because that's that's how we get better is to recognize what's not working as well as it could and facing it and making it better so you just up but you're up you that that wall or that sort of resistance never goes away it stays right in front of you no matter how good you are and i think that's one of the challenges about being a musician but it's it's being able to support I, I love the idea that i can support musicians in the face of that to work with that resistance to um enjoy what they're doing yeah. and, and empower yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly. things always go better when people work together i think it's really interesting isn't it i think with imposter syndrome you know if, if say something goes well it's easy to look at yourself and think why have i got this why did i get this opportunity why not that person who whom I look up to or is you know played that concerto or that excerpt amazingly well you know why not them but then those are all quite superficial elements I think and you never know what has sort of led them to that path and what's led you you know to a different path yeah that's right and, you know pathways is is an, an analogy that I use a lot it's like we're on a certain path to, to get to the heart of what path you're on and choosing whether that's the path you want. And you have a choice to be on a different path if you want or a braided river. So the, the pathways that we're used to um, are the ones that all of our habits lead us down. And that's the, it's the easiest um, way to go. But you can actually make some new choices and get down different pathways and have a completely different reality. But it's learning, having the tools and the techniques to be able to sort of redirect yourself. Yeah, to navigate. It might be quite a intimidating looking track. Yeah, that's right. But <laughs> lots, super lots exciting. Of grass to cut through. <laughs> no, that's right. So everybody. So that's interesting because that's the that's the pathway that instantly comes to mind for you. You know, it's this sort of bushwhacking yeah. one <laughs> with the you know? cutty grass or the toy yeah. toy, as they say in New Zealand. <laughs> but imagine what's on the other side of that toy toy yeah exactly and then and you know it might be a, an amazing immersive 360 degree view of some mountains <laughs> and, a, and a wedge house <laughs> that's right you're going to stay Davina yeah 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 next next time whenever that will be if I'm ever allowed on a plane again <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh. yeah oh brilliant I know I, I love this kind of approach though because um I use a lot of analogies um when me I'm too. teaching yeah. And I think they just help me understand what I'm trying to communicate better. And I hope that they make some of my students understand things. It works better with some some children. Yeah, that's right. You know, the sorts of analogies that really make a difference for me is uh, I use colour a lot. The the pathway that's not working for somebody, will have, they'll have a certain colour connotation too, but usually something like grey. You know. um, and then, but another pathway that they, if they can, imagine it would likely be a, a very vibrant color and it's 
and also in music, you know, a phrase, a mood, an emotion. But if you can think of music as color, the sound as color, that opens up a completely different uh, creative opportunity rather than yeah. just black and white, you know, loud and soft. There's every the whole world of color, which you can't describe all of that color, but you can hear it. Mm. Yeah, and then it's about tuning your ear into into seeing slash hearing all the, yeah. the different gradients, right? Exactly. Yeah. I have a segment in my podcast called the wild card question round. <laughs> Mystique. I love hearing people's reactions. It's always different. But this is your opportunity to choose what I ask you next based on three topics that I present mm. you. <laughs> so we have food, They're quite general, these things, wine, and dream repertoire. Okay. Uh, see the food or wine? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> food. Food. Oh, I'm so pleased. A lot of people don't choose food, but I, I really. Oh, look, my day is divided between breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the next one, so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You tell time by your stomach. I'm. Oh, <laughs> I'm quite similar. No, I love I love food, but yeah, there are a lot of a lot of people you know choose not to talk about food, and they'll they'll talk about something else, which is fine. I always get really excited when people talk about food. So tell me. What was the last thing you ate and what's the next thing you're planning to eat? <laughs> oh, well, so the last thing I ate was breakfast. And at the moment I'm having, I know this isn't everybody's favorite, but I'm making this really yummy porridge. Um, it's oh, the middle of winter here, of course. Of course yeah. um, but I make it with fresh almond milk that we make, which is like a completely different almond milk to what you buy. Like they're just, they're not the same thing. Uh, super yummy. You, you're. Um, I, this is quite a lot of information. Is this good? Do I keep on? Yeah. Talking? No. No. I really like this. No. Because this is the idea about the podcast. Is like because I like that musicians have lives outside of music. Oh my god. You know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> probably too much so in my in my um, life. But um, <laughs> so the um, almond milk. You soak almonds overnight, and then you have to have a really powerful blender. But you blend it all up, and then you squeeze it through a nut bag, and you've just got this beautiful essence of creamy almond anyway so I make my porridge with that and I use the big jumbo oats too so you have to organic jumbo oats and you know just cooks up real quick and then on top of that I put fresh fruit so I had kiwi fruit <laughs> I know classic and tamarillos because we've got those in season at the moment and then I put walnuts on top and then I make a really good coffee because I we've got a coffee machine so I have a not too long long black so that's what I had this morning. It sounds very nutty. I really like that. And I like um, I like dairy alternatives to milk now. I don't really like milk, so. Yeah, I find milk a bit sour now. I mean, I used to always drink it. And I'm not intolerant to it at all, but I just, I prefer, like almond milk is quite good if you can get a nice one. I'm sure yours, I mean, that sounds incredible. Oh, it's, it's so good. But the big rage here is oat milk. I'm not sure if it is oh, okay. in New Zealand. Yeah, right. Well, they probably do that the same way. You probably soak it and then blend it up and it's probably yeah. the same thing. Well, I could try it. Yeah, you could do. You could try porridge made with oat milk and be like super oaty. Super oaty. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And so then the next meal is less certain because <laughs> after this, I'm driving over to Queenstown to pick up my husband who's returning from quarantine and we might go 
to there's a really great cafe in Arrowtown, which is like 15 minutes from the airport, and it's called the Chop Shop, and they make this spectacular mee goreng, and it's oh. really, really good. Like I just don't think you can get it better. I mean, you're going to have different versions, but it's just so good. So I mean, both Mark and I are just super fussy about, or not fussy, we we eat all sorts, you know, and it can be really simple and really good, or really complicated and really good, but and everything in between and anyway so that we might stop there depending on how he's feeling for our lunch oh but but a mega ring though i've got my dinner planned of, of two of course oh go on tell us your dinner plans yeah mark's been away for four and a half weeks and we so yesterday when i was in wanaka i bought this really beautiful lamb rack so we'll cook cook the lamb rack so we're big meat eaters too and it'll just be really simple but with probably roast potatoes and we've got some beautiful dark green leafy things that I'll cook up and we'll have a beautiful we'll have a really nice wine because we'll be celebrating that he's home because we have a wine cellar as well Mark has been a wine collector since I met him so this is you know 30 years of wine collecting and he's totally passionate he writes every about every wine he drinks I just enjoy it but anyway we'll have a beautifully matched wine as well so that's that's my day of food Oh, you're living the dream right now. I'm so <laughs> jealous. I feel like if I went back to New Zealand, I'd probably start eating meat again. I haven't eaten meat in um, oh. about half a year, but yeah. I think it's just like the idea is that I didn't really like eating crap meat. Yeah. Of which there is a lot here. Yes, it's, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, if you're going to do it, you do, do something well. really, really special like you're doing. But, oh, I'm, I'm jealous of your little, your little trip to Arrowtown because I love that. I love that town so much. It's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. How cold is it there in, at the moment? Well, I'm nice and warm in my house because it's all centrally heated. So I'm just going to check on my. Oh, app. the heat's coming from where? From where? The center, was it? Oh, <laughs> well, it's coming from the foundation of the house, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and actually, the whole architecture and building a house thing, there were so many parallels to what we do. I mean, I'd love to. Talk about that too because that was really interesting but my phone is saying it's negative one degree outside so wow oh that's proper cold yeah so that's celsius are you celsius there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. celsius here but like weird imperial units elsewhere okay, yeah, sometimes so anyway so it's cold outside yeah um but <laughs> back to the foundation of the house or the process of building a house yeah. as musicians there were so many parallels it was fascinating in that First of all, for me, the whole idea, the foundations are so important, obviously, for building a house. You have to get that right. And the, the analogy for that as musicians with our bodies and how we build up a piece or how we learn to do something, it's so important to have that solid, well-structured, unquestioning foundation that everything then flows very easily and naturally from. So the heating in our house is all within the foundation, of course. <laughs> So you, yeah, exactly. So if you've got like this amazing wedge house, you know, in a beautiful location, but you don't have heating and minus one degree temperature. And then the whole idea that you take a plan, the, the building plans, it's like a score and that everybody can take these plans. Everybody can take a score and you're going to end up, say it's Mozart symphony. It's going to sound like Mozart symphony, but each group that does it or each is it's going to be a different version of it and so every single step that you go along the way influences 
where you end up. It's a bit like this pathway. Each person goes down a different pathway. Yeah. And all those decisions are so important and ultimately have an influence on that final product, which is what happens with music as well. You know, how we all the multitude of decisions we make. And so it's really having that end goal in sight for all the decisions you're making is very much the process that I think we go through as musicians. Yeah. And when we take a score, and when we learn how to do things and yeah. So yeah. It's, it was a really interesting process. And then it's, it's also spatial. So I think of music as spatial. I think of it as three dimensional. I think that's the way my brain works. A lot of musicians don't think this way, but mm. it was called cool to be constructing a house, which was obviously in three dimensions. And it's, it's the same sort of things. It's the form aspect yeah, I think that it, that says a lot. When you acknowledge how your brain works, that does inform the way that you make particular decisions, mm. you know, whether it be building a house or mm. making music, and then mm. it's easy to find the parallels there. Justine, thank you so much for sharing your insights on listen, feel, play, and this wonderful approach to music making. Thank you also for sharing details about your house because I've seen pictures and it looks amazing. And also sharing the analogies between your house and music making as well. And also telling us about your passion for food because I always love hearing about food. Who doesn't? So where can people find out more about your work? Uh, so I have a website, justinecormack.com. That's probably the best way, actually. And on my website, you can see me play. You can read articles that I've written. And then in terms of working with people, coaching people, I do a lot of that through you know, Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. And it works really well. So, yeah, probably the website's the best place to go. Oh, brilliant. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today slash tonight. Yeah, <laughs> this morning. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Cheers. That was my chat with Justine Cormack. It was so great to reconnect with Justine recently. I mean, I left uni 12 years ago and it's really cool that we can still manage to keep in touch. The wonder that is the modern age. This week's Music College Didn't Prepare Me is about performing with everyone's favourite pandemic-inspired accessory, the mask. Performances continue to be scarce around the world, but some ensembles are paving a way forward. Those who aren't wind or brass players, or singers, are able to perform wearing masks. But what's it like, given that no one has had to do this before? You may have caught some online streams of the string players of the London Mozart players performing wearing rather fetching matchy-matchy red masks. My friend Antonia was playing in these concerts and said the first one was pretty horrendous, as it felt bizarre and very hot. But by the time they'd done a couple concerts, they got used to it. Apparently, it's just very hot and difficult to see down your instrument. Not to mention, if you wear glasses finding that optimum position of your mask so that your glasses don't fog up constantly. It's like a sauna around your head. I mean, it goes without saying that no one could have predicted this pandemic, but can you imagine if music colleges started holding performance classes with masks to acclimatise to the situation? That'd look pretty funny. I personally am enjoying wearing a mask when I'm out and about, because as someone who suffers from RBF, that is 
resting bitch face and has been harassed in the past to smile more by people who don't know me. It's all coming out now. The combination of a mask and sunglasses is a very good way to conceal your naturally grumpy looking face. Ugh, there are bigger problems in the world than telling strangers to smile or don't worry, it might not happen. Does that ever work? Whenever a stranger has said one of these ill-timed quips, I can't say it's ever made me go, oh, thank God, I haven't thought of that. I'm so happy now that I'm presenting myself outwardly in a way that is socially acceptable to you, stranger. Ugh, it just makes things worse. If you're one of those people, just don't say anything. If you see someone that looks a little bit grumpy, just leave them alone. Your words are not going to change what they do. I've got a bit of baggage in this department. If you have something that Music College didn't prepare you for that you'd like shared or discussed on the podcast, then let me know. Email me at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Daniel Elms for my jingle. Massive thanks to Justine Cormack for joining me on the podcast across many time zones and sharing her fantastic words. And thank you, as always, for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at asitcomespod. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think you know someone that could benefit from the stories, anecdotes and experiences shared on this podcast, then tell them. Thank you for continuing to spread the word. Chat to you soon. Bye. (music) 